He'll be remembered as one of the greatest money players in NHL history. Blessed with intrinsically soft hands, Steve Thomas had a pension for scoring goals, 421 in fact, including 78 game-winning tallies. Leafs Nation can easily reflect back on overtime brilliance against Vancouver in the regular season and a memorable backhand in the 2000 postseason against Ottawa. The man known as Stumpy was born in England, never drafted, yet would play in 20 NHL seasons. Stumpy, you're amongst a list of great players never drafted. Belfour, Cujo, Cicerelli, Oates, Martin, St. Louis all got passed over, and you've played with most or against these guys, you even coached Marty when you were in Tampa. What is the common thread amongst this group, do you think, that scouts might have missed in their respective draft weekends? Well, that's tough. Uh, I, I think uh, I got off to a bit of a late start. And before I even start, I'd just like to, you know, I'm honored to be on with you. I, 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 I've always uh, really enjoyed your work. And, um, and uh, you know, being a Leaf fan, you're, you're the, the big part of, uh, of the success that the Leafs have had for a while. And thank you for that. Thank you, Stone. Um, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really, uh, I, I think certain guys develop, um, quicker, um, at an earlier age than, than older than, uh, than other guys. Mm-hmm. I really think that, um, that myself, uh, I was a bit of a late bloomer. Uh, I played for the Toronto Marlboros for just two years when I was, uh, 19 and 20, I played tier two prior to that for the Markham Waxers. And I think I developed into more of a man, uh, a little bit later than, than other people did. And, um, not only, not only physically, but mentally in regards to hockey. Um, and, and I, I just, I, I really kind of attribute it to, I, I, I wouldn't say I had the best coaching while I was uh, playing junior hockey and I learned how to play the game the right way as I went along. And that made me a better player. Leaf signed you as a free agent spring of 1984. Having seen teammate Pete Zezel go to the Flyers in the second round, how much of a motivating factor was that in your final year of junior together when you score 50, I think 51 goals to, to mm. at least maybe convince scouts, even though you were an overage, that I've got some talent here? Well, it was a, it was a, a, a great opportunity that I received from, uh, from uh, our general manager, Frank Bonello. Mm. Um, uh, and he gave me that opportunity. And, and I always, and I've spoken to him about this uh, before. And, and I've, you know, I've, I've thanked him from the bottom of my heart for giving me that opportunity, because that was kind of the stepping stone for me to um, showcase what I was capable of doing. Um, I finished up having a half decent year uh, playing alongside Peter Zezel, rest, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, we, we had a pretty good team. We, I think we were 35, five and one, um, like a little more than midway through the season. And that was when, if you, if you won the, um, the Ontario hockey league, um, regular season, then you would have hosted the, uh, the Memorial cup. And that would have taken place at Maple Leaf gardens. And that would have been really something. And I don't know what happened in the second half of the season, Paul, but we, uh, we didn't play nearly as well as we did in the first half, but it was a real motivating factor for me to play as hard as I could for that organization. Um, and, and to play hard for a, a gentleman by the name, by Frank Bonello, who gave me that opportunity. And, um, and I think I've always throughout my whole life been given a challenge. I always wanted to make the best of that opportunity uh, because, you know, as I found out later on in life, um, you get opportunities and if you don't make the best of those opportunities, sometimes they go away. And, um, and I wanted to make good with the opportunity that Mr. Bonello gave me. 
You took advantage of uh, your opportunity with the Markham Waxers. You get to play with Adam Oates. I know at that yeah. point in his career, he was deemed too slow to play at the next level, but he could always yeah. pass. And we know he was going to be able to skate at the next level. What do you recall of what it was like to score those 68 goals and having Adam obviously set you up for most of those? Yeah, how about all of them? Okay. <laughs> he was phenomenal. Um, the year that we had our success, um, I think he had 161 points uh, in 44 games, and he just absolutely dominated that league. Um, you're right; he wasn't a, 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 as fleet of foot as as you know. Uh, oftentimes, scouts criticize guys for, but he had the mental capacity to know where everybody was, Gretzky like. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and all he wanted to do was give me the puck because he recognized the fact that I could shoot. And, um, and that was, um, we became really close friends, uh, through a couple of years I played with him and, um, and geez, he's gone on to have a, he went on to have a magnificent career and eventual hall of fame induction. And, uh, and, uh, he deserved every minute of it because he's, he, he's, he's separated himself from, from so, so many, so many players with his abilities. Do you recall conversations with Leaf General Manager Jerry McNamara after your last year with the Marlies and trying to convince <laughs> him to take a flyer on you? I'm not sure who your agent would have been coming out of junior back then. Well, it was uh, it was Don Meehan at the time, and um, um, and I I just I acquired Don Meehan in my uh, my last year of junior with the Marlboros um, when I was 20. Um, and, and, you know, I got another great opportunity and I have to, I can't leave uh, Jerry McNamara out of this because he gave me an opportunity to play for the team that I grew up loving. Um, I always remember my father uh, said, you know, on a Saturday night when I was just a young kid, go upstairs, put your pajamas on, pour me a beer <laughs> and you, I'll let you watch the first period. And if you're good and if you enjoy it, you can watch Peter Puck uh, in the intermission. Needless to say, that beer was like a third of the way gone before it got in my dad's hands. But um, uh, yeah, the Jerry McNamara was uh, the, the, another man that gave me a great opportunity with Toronto as a uh, signing me as a free agent. Um, and uh, um, I, if I'm not mistaken, Jerry's still alive, right? Yes, he's still he with us. He's yep. an older gentleman. And I, uh, I spoke to him a few years ago and he's so, such an interesting guy. Well, well, well versed on a lot of different subjects, and he's a really interesting man to talk to. But I do remember one instance um, after my third year with Toronto when uh, I was fortunate enough to score 35 goals, um, and uh, I was up for a new contract. And 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 I guess Don Meehan and and he were having some some uh, some issues coming up with a number or whatever. And, and I was kind of holding out a little bit and, um, and Jerry walked into the training room when I was just getting off a bike and he walked in and he goes, Malalatet, like this. And I guess the offer was like $80,000. Uh, no, uh, no, it was um, just over a hundred thousand. And uh, at the time was, was okay money, but it wasn't money that I thought I was worth after going through a 35 goal season. I mean, this is uh, this is when Gretzky was scoring 200 points. So 35 goals is like scoring 10 goals these days. Um, and um, and uh, so it turned out that he wasn't willing to give me the money that I was asking for, and uh, eventually traded me off to uh, Chicago. And uh, I always remember that, you know, 
being a lifelong Toronto Maple Leaf, blue and white, ran through my blood, my 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 veins. Um, when I got to Chicago, I'm like, oh my god, what did I do? I should have just, you know. And it turned out that I signed a two hundred thousand dollar U.S. contract, uh, two hundred two two twenty two forty, and and Jerry was offering me one hundred and twenty Canadian. So it worked out financially for me. Yeah, and you had to deal with a curmudgeon like Bobby Pulford. I mean, that was another entity onto its own. I mean, you think dealing yeah. with Harold Ballard was tough because it eventually got Rick traded as well, and, and Big Daddy went with you. Yeah. But, but Pulley was not easy to understand just talking to him, but he was certainly tough to deal with financially too, if I recall. Well, every, every the start of everything he had to say was always... It was always one of those, you know. So, and you're sitting on the edge of your your seat, um, waiting for the next thing to come out of your mouth because he was an interesting man as well. And and the success that he had had throughout his hockey career gave him, you know, the credence he needed to to know what he was talking about. And uh, but my my time in 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 Chicago turned out to be a wonderful experience. Uh, uh, I got a chance to play with Dennis Savard, Steve Larmer. Uh, Eddie Belfour, Dominic Hashik. Hashik and Belmore, Belfour were our, our goalies. And, and Hashik was the backup to Eddie yeah. at the time. So it turned out that both of those guys had unreal careers. But, you know, Doug Wilson and Bob Murray, who's the general manager of Anaheim right now. Um, my experience in, in Chicago, for all the teams I played on, but for Chicago was a was a pretty pretty cool situation to be in, knowing that uh, I was going to get the opportunity to play with a Dennis Savard or a Troy Murray or guys like that. Yeah, and yeah. those teams you've mentioned so much skill up front. I want to talk about the Chuck Norris division and the uh-huh. toughness on that team. I'd forgotten about Wayne Van Dorp, uh, Dirk Graham. Yeah. I, I can go Al Secord, who eventually got traded, yeah. obviously, in the deal for you. But there was a lot of toughness on that team. And I think in one of those years, the 89-90 year, there were seven 100-penalty-minute guys. You were just nine minutes shy of that. Otherwise, you would have broached that group as well. But up and back, I mean, skill up front, there was so much toughness, but you needed it given the fact that you were playing each of those Norris division rivals eight times a year. Right. So we had Dave Manson, who was no slouch. No. Glenn Cochran, who was a perennial heavyweight. Stu Grimson at one point. Um, We had Bob McGill, Mike Peluso. um, uh, Dirk Graham could really handle himself. Um, who else was there there? Uh, uh, there's six guys. Yeah. And in and, and today's game, there isn't one guy on 95% of the teams that can do that. Hey, Adam um, Creighton. Adam Creighton, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he took a few 10-minute misconducts. He was good, though. He, was, <laughs> yeah. he had an edge to his game, for sure. Yeah. yeah, he did. <laughs> and, you know, let's go back to your initial leave camp. You're out a junior, and I'm not sure whether you're going to be able to make that team from the get-go, but you broke your hand in camp. And, I mean, that pretty much destined you for St. Catharines, which, when you look back on it, might not have been a bad place to, to ply your trade, given how, how great your rookie year was in St. Kitts. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the first training camp, um, back then it was, it was very uh, – you know, guys, guys would get in shape, but they wouldn't be in the, in the, in the terrific uh, physical shape that they are now hockey specific training. But back then we did enough work to be able to get, get to, to a point where cardio and, and physically we we're, we were okay to start training camp. Um, 
found out that we were having training camp at um, uh, in Belleville. Yeah. And uh, little did I know the Belleville arena was like an Olympic size ice surface. So, and then hearing from other players that, you know, all the skating and the, you know, we called it bag skating, but all that skating was, was uh, that much harder in an Olympic size arena. So I got there um, kind of ready, uh, mm. not as ready as I, I wanted to be because that, that summer we were filming a movie called Youngblood. We're going to get and, into uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and so they told us they'd give us the ice time and uh, necessary fewer skating, but little did they, they, they didn't tell us that there'd be like four $200,000 cameras on the ice at the same time. So we're skating around cameras and, and there's people on the ice. So, yeah. so I, I don't think I was as ready as I wanted to be for that training camp. And as it turns out, uh, you know, first day is a lot of the skating and, and uh, you know, the laps and the stops and starts and sidewalls and, and you're just absolutely exhausted. But then the next day we started the scrimmages and, uh, I was really tired and I got on the ice and uh, I went to the side wall and I got hit by, um, by Bill Root and he got my hand into the, into the boards and I broke my hand in three places. Um, And almost a little bit of a blessing in disguise that I did get sent down to the, to the St. Catherine saints, because um, you know, I'm a firm, I'm a believer that, that having some experience at the pro level, uh, aside from the NHL level is, 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 is so valuable. You, you learn, you know, you learn how to compete at that level. There's really good players. These are all top players on every team that they've played on throughout. So you're getting great competition. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, the coaching wasn't great, but it was Claire Alexander. And we always called him back in the day, the milkman, because he did when he played for the Leafs have a job as a milkman delivery uh, guy. And, uh, um, you know, it was pretty wishy-washy in his well, approach to how to coach. <laughs> he and Gary LaRiviere, they're both former defensemen. Did yeah. you, Wes Jarvis, just get the green light, go and do whatever you want to do and just put some points on the board? You know, there was absolutely no rhyme or reason to our system. It was just go out there and play. And it was, you know, and that's what I mean about, you know, coaching levels how how you know you don't learn how to play the game the right way until you get to a certain level well this wasn't really the level I mean there were there were like Claire it was a country club guys did whatever they felt like doing and and I guess that's the way it was back in the uh, in the American Hockey League back in the early 80s but I there's one story that I, I remember and I hope I don't I won't mention the names, but I, I hope I don't offend anybody if they know. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I get there. I've just come off. I've gotten my cast off. I, I get. I report to St. Catharines, and uh, the season had already started. And so I get there, and I'm ready to go. I get on the ice early, and I'm doing some stretching, and I'm getting ready for, like, a good professional practice. And – so I look, so I get on the ice first, a couple of guys come on, they're skating around their stick handle and Claire comes on the ice and Claire just starts taking slap shots from one end of the rink to the other. Like what coach have you ever heard of doing that? Nobody, right? No. He just wanted to work on a slap shot every day. So then, so then a bunch of more guys filter out onto the ice and they're all skating around and, and I'm thinking, Oh, this is okay. Well, all right. The coach is a little bit different, but whatever. And then there's two of our veteran players 
step on the well, they they stop at the bench, they put their take their helmets and their gloves off and put their stick on the bench. They step on the ice with a coffee and a cigarette in their hands. And they start skating around the ice, doing like like slow laps, just talking to each other, having a cigarette and having a coffee. And and I'm like, oh my God, where am I right now? Like, what is going on here? And um, and uh, so that was a real eye opener to old school compared to you know at that time in the early '80s compared to new school, which was me coming up. Yeah. And and I did not expect that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, so anyway, we got the practice going and it turned out to be an okay practice. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are some of the, you know, the funny little things that, right. And if you ever did that now, it'd be like, see you later, go home. We don't need you around anymore. You know, I talked, <laughs> but it was kind of funny. Yeah. I talked to squid Rick vibe for those who are listening and watching who don't let you know, it's his nickname and about what systems did you have up with the Leafs? He goes, it was dump and chase. God forbid if you're playing for Dan, Dan Maloney or John Brophy that you turn the puck over at the opposition blue line. It was dump yeah. and chase, pound the piss out of the defenseman and try to create opportunity that way. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of worked. Yeah, it did. It did, actually. It's, um, we, we had some success mm-hmm. there early on in Toronto. We swept the uh, Chicago Blackhawks when you're in the first round, and uh, nobody expected that. That was a three out of five series. Yeah. And at Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, people were throwing brooms on the ice. It was outstanding. I loved it. Mm. Yeah. I, I said to Rick, what's your one big memory of Stumpy? And he goes, I hate to say it, but it's when we collided into each other on a power play. He said, yeah. we really hurt each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny because we did a breakout. And I don't yeah. even know if we even really had a breakout, but but we were flying up the wing and then we both cut across the blue line to stay on side to keep our momentum, to be able to go back into the zone. And uh, I thought I was going to go one way and he thought I was, he was going to go one way and we decided to go the same way and we were going full speed and we were both lying at the middle of the blue line. I knocked the wind out out of me, but, uh, but I, I, to this day say that I got the better of him because he stayed down longer than I did. (laughs) Hey, before we go any further into hockey, let's go back to your beginning, Stockport, England, your parents' decision to eventually immigrate to Canada two decades after World War II. I guess they weren't alone in their quest from, from the big island to come over to Canada, weren't they? No, no. And, and you know, a lot of people did from from all countries in, in Europe, from Italy. Uh, my mom, my wife's mom and dad are from uh, off the boat in 1954. So, yeah, there was, uh, we decided, my dad decided to uh, immigrate to Canada in 1967 when I was four. And uh, more for um, opportunity and, and a, a, a better kind of um, way of life to bring his kids up. And, um, um, you know, and, and the first thing dad did when he, when, you know, when I was four and a half to five years old was got me in, in, into hockey. And uh, he, he, he saw a lot of similarities from, from, uh, from soccer and which is a sport he played when he was growing up. And uh, he really took a shine to the hockey and uh, got me involved. And that was it. I just never looked back from there. You've been a lifelong Manchester City football fan, was taking City over United, handed down to you in terms of a mantle and family history, or was this just a personal choice? No, no. My, Paul, my, my, uh, my grandfather uh, was a City fan. My father's a City fan. I'm a City fan. I'm trying to get my, my son here to be a City fan. He's kind of, 
he's kind of wavering, but uh, I don't know how he could. Um, we've been through the trials and tribulations of, uh, of uh, year after year misery until, um, until uh, you know, the, um, um, the guys from the Emirates, uh, not from the Emirates, from, from Dubai came and uh, bought yeah. our team and yeah. sunk a whole shitload of money into us. And, uh, and now we've got a, we've got a team that's vying for the, uh, the, the champions league final coming up in the next mm-hmm. little while. Mm-hmm. So we've been through me as a city fan. I've been through when city was in the second division, first division. Um, so it's been a roller coaster ride until, you know, the probably the last four or five, five or six years that we've had some real success with some great soccer to watch. I just enjoy every minute of it. You played for a couple of coaches in Toronto, at least initially, that'll go down in hockey folklore, uh, Sachin Brophy, <laughs> Dan Maloney and John Brophy. Yeah. What, what experiences, I mean, they must've loved the way you played and did you basically have to play the way you played? Cause you didn't back off from anyone given who those coaches were. Well, um, regardless of who the coaches were, mm-hmm. I, I just, I recognized that early on that I had to play like that for me mm-hmm. to be an effective player. Um, and, and, and eventually by the end of my career, I couldn't necessarily play that way in the last couple of years because it was too hard on my body. And I, being a, you know, a bit of a smaller guy, that was a bit of a, mm-hmm. uh, a strain on my body. And, and, and when that component, that physical component is no longer available to me, that makes me a different player. Um, and that's when I pretty much knew in my last year that, uh, that, um, you know, for, for one, my body couldn't kind of, uh, maintain itself playing that physical style. And that's when I knew I was kind of done, but, but with, um, you know, Dan and, and John Brophy, they were two guys that were hard as pavement. Those guys, uh, you know, you've all, you've all heard the, you know, the, the lore of, of John Brophy and, and things that he's done and in the East coast league and, and uh, Dan Maloney, how hard nosed he was when he played for the Leafs and throughout his career. Um, um, yeah, there was a component of, you know, I, I want to play a physical style. I want to play, I want to play more than I normally play because of that. But um, um, you know, those, st- especially John, he was, uh, he was a, a beauty. Um, Dan Maloney was a guy that, um, that recognized my offensive ability mm-hmm. and put me in a situation with Rick Vibe and Builder Lego. You know, as soon as I got there, uh, gave me that opportunity to play with two great players. Um, Rick Vibe just coming off a 50 goal year and, and Builder Lego, a great uh, passer of the puck and someone who, who has great vision out there. And, and I was so fortunate to play with those two guys. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, uh, I got a funny story about Brof and, and Brof was, uh, you know, he, he'd come in the dressing room and, and he'd address the guys after, you know, before or after a game. And he said, you know, and I just gotten called up from St. Catharines and, and Brof says, and Tom, he's talked about a bunch of other guys and he goes, and Thomas, it's 40 miles from St. Catharines to Toronto, yeah. but it's 4,000 miles back. <laughs> I, I mean, I should flip that the other way. It's 40 miles from, it's, oh, let me, let from me think. From Toronto to St. Catharines, but it's yeah. 4,000 miles back. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> yes, <first. laughs> yeah. that's right. 
you never picked your spots. You always fought above your weight class often. And, and I think back, you know, Chris Simon, Basil McRae, these were tough characters. And Scott Stevens, who I mean, I'm sure your shoulders can still feel it. You didn't back off, Stumpy. No, you know what? Um, you know, and again, that's another thing that I, I, I recognized. Um, you know, a lot, of those, a lot of those situations were really spur of the moment. They weren't uh, situations where I sat on the bench or I, I laid in bed the night before thinking about what I was mm-hmm. going to do. They were like um, things that happened like throughout the course of the game or, or maybe a little bit of a dirty hit, but I, I certainly wasn't going to back down. Um, I, I probably took my, my lumps a few times, but um, I think, I think you get that a lot of respect from your teammates when you do that sort of thing. And they look up to you as being someone who, they can, they can, they can see that you, you'll have their back. And, um, and, and another, in another sense, you know, if things aren't going great in a, um, in a, in a game and, you, and a, our team, our bench needs a bit of a lift. Well, if I got myself into a fight, I, I didn't fight defensively. It was very much, uh, the one who throws the most punches wins. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're pretty. And I've seen a few of them on the, uh, on, um, on YouTube and they're, they're exciting to watch. So I, I, I know that, you know, one of my, if one of my teammates got into a fight and he did really well, or he showed up when, when everyone thought he wouldn't show up to that particular player, it, it did give me um, a lot of, um, gave me a rush and, gave, and said, you know what, if that guy's going to put himself out there like that, then, you know, we can pick up our game for him. 8990. Let's talk about your last two years now in Chicago. And these are great hockey clubs. And yeah. you're into the Western Conference final. You're up 2 1 on the Edmonton Oilers. I gotta I gotta remember this. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm did I'm I'm remembering a Mike Keenan sort of chirp or something directed toward Mark Messier before game four. Mess came out in game four, and I think he had two goals and two assists in a 4-1-4-2 game, and the Oilers went on to win the next three games. But there was no need for bulletin board material, given how close the Chicago team was to going to the Stanley Cup final. I don't know if you recall that at all. Uh, I, I don't recall that, but mm-hmm. th- there's always something unwritten uh, amongst our players and our management that, uh, you know, throughout the course of the playoffs, do not – um, have anything in print through the media to, to be able to kind of um, to give the other team any sort of momentum. Um, and, uh, you know, I would have thought that Mike Keenan would have known better than to do that to one of the best players in the NHL. It's just spurring that guy on. He's that Mark Messier has been a, a competitive player and a guy that's put numbers up and, and a winner his whole career. So why would you say something like that to him of all people? Um, I didn't, I didn't hear that, but it was, uh, um, now if I look back and say that was probably a bit of a mistake on his part and he probably regrets saying something to him. Playoffs are a different animal. The next season, Chicago wins the president's trophy. You're taking on many in the first round. They were 38, 40 points below in the season, but a goalie named John Casey gets hot. And I, I, I don't know what you recall of that, but they ousted Chicago in six games. And I look ahead to the Leafs and all the optimism going on right now. Boy, oh boy, in a playoff series, unless you're getting the goaltending and you're not coming up against goaltending like that, it can either be a long run or it could be a short run. Do you recall how good John Casey was in eliminating the President's Cup champions? Uh, right. Yeah, the he was. He was really good. And and you know what's funny is I had more success against uh, Patrick Waugh and uh, Dominic Hasek and guys like that than I yeah. did against John Casey. Was the one guy I had the hardest time scoring on. 
Um, but, uh, but our team, our, our team didn't look at um, at uh, that Minnesota team as a viable uh, opponent for us. Uh, we t- we we took them a little bit too lightly, um, and and that's a danger that uh, you can't do that. And and we took way too many penalties. We uh, I think Chris Chelios took almost a misconduct every every game. Yeah. And having a guy of that guy's caliber out of the lineup and sitting on the penalty box just didn't help us. We were so undisciplined and they were very disciplined. And I think that was the, the, the um, you know, one of the, the big components to the, the, the reason why we, we lost that series. Our, we just, we were out of our minds because once you get down a little bit, you try so much harder and then, you know, if things don't go well for you, then you're taking these cheap, dumb penalties that, 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 that really cost your club. And I think that was a big reason why why our success, because we, like you said, we just won the President's Trophy and we were rolling, yeah. and, uh, and they just they just played a really good game, had a really good game plan, and were super disciplined. Four years in Chicago, and then you go on to play four great years on the island. What was it about the synergy of that Islander roster, Stumpy, that enabled both you and it to merge so seamlessly? Um. I, I think a big reason, and 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 this is where, this is where my coaching started to turn me into a real a better hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Al Arbor was a guy that um, that wanted you to 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 really concentrate on the defensive aspect of the game. I had never done that prior to that, even in Toronto. Like defense for me was like secondary. It was about scoring. It was about getting points and that sort of thing. Um, Chicago was a lot along the same lines. Mike Keenan had me running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Uh, he'd start me in every game because he wanted to hit myself and Jocelyn Lemieux. And he just wanted us doing straight lines, just putting guys, trying to put guys through the boards. Uh, and, 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 you know, that took away a little bit from, from my, my game. But once that first period got over and done with, and we did all that, you know, setting a ground, the groundwork and the tone of the game, then we could start playing. Um, I did have a successful year in Chicago. I scored 42 goals one year, but uh, um, that was, um, that was a, um, like I had to figure out the way I I wanted to play uh, based on the success I was going to have if I played like that. But the New York Islanders, I got more of a, uh, an idea that, defense was more of a um more it was more important and um um so and and the fact that al arbor is behind the bench yeah. it's like one of it's like your grandpa <laughs> you just wanted to do so well for your grandfather you know yeah. and um and and you didn't want to let him down and and to a man everyone thought the same thing had so much respect for him he treated us like gold he was like he was he treated us with a ton of respect um, and he and, and, and he thought that that's the way we were going to get, you know, success. Whereas Mike Keenan was like, he was a guy, a disciplinarian. He would play mind games with you to a certain extent. And you didn't know where you stood and your confidence level was gone. Well, Al Arbor gave you that, gave me that confidence level to go out there. And uh, so as soon as I got traded there, I was put on a line with, um, with Pierre Turgeon. And uh, Pierre Turgeon, for me, uh, I would say is probably the best centerman I've had mm-hmm. um, based on, on the success that we had 
Um, he wanted, he's like a lot like Adam Oates. He wanted to give me the puck cause he recognized that I could score. And, um, and, uh, but what a career he had. He was a outstanding player in the, in the three years that I played with, with him in, um, uh, in, um, uh, in the Island was, uh, my three or four best three years for sure. Out of the one was a shortened season, but yeah. the three were the, my best offensive career, uh, uh, seasons in my career. And you had Al for three of those seasons. What do you recall of the hit on Dale Hunter and Turgeant, uh, the conclusion of that first round series in spring of 1993? Well, I thought it was gutless, really gutless. Um, I, 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 you know, my son got drafted by the, uh, by the, um, um, sorry, the uh, The London Knights. The London Knights. Knights And so Christian, Christian played half a season with the London Knights. So I had the opportunity to, uh, to go in and, chat with him about that and he told me a pretty funny story you know i, I said why what I, why would you do that like you, that was my bread and butter you took out yeah. and um and uh he was uh he said well i gotta tell you he said when i did that he said it was just spur of the moment I, I, you know it was an opportunity for me to kind of get one of the top guys out but he said the funny part was i was on the ice with i had some europeans on my line so he said, when I got kicked out of the game, he says, I came, I came to the, uh, I came to the dressing room and he was, because five of us were all trying to get him at, at one point. And I was on the ice. So I was trying to get in there to do as much damage as I could. So he got, he, he came to the dressing room, he took his helmet off and he's like looking in the mirror going, okay, I, that didn't, that didn't turn out so bad. I didn't get hurt. I didn't get marked up or whatever. And then he saw a couple of his European guys come in and their helmets are all on sideways and. <laughs> And the one guy's got a big cut on his face and, and another guy comes in and his shoulders out yeah. and he's like, Oh my God, look what happened to my poor line mates because of what I did. But yeah, but I, I, I remember when that happened and I, I couldn't get into that scrum and get to Dale Hunter fast enough to do whatever I could to, to, you know, you know, try to do something in, 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 in Pierre's aid. That was awful. Let's talk about your movie career just a bit in the making of Youngblood, <laughs> 1984. I think you're 21 when they're shooting this. It wasn't like Paul Newman at uh, the zenith of his career, but what was it like to mingle with <laughs> Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, and uh, Keanu Reeves? Uh, for many of these guys, their first or second shots at stardom. Yeah, well, this, it was um, an, an opportunity. A guy came up to me and asked me if I'd be interested in playing in a uh, part in a, in a hockey movie. And this was in 19 – this was – the summer before my first training camp with the Leafs, yeah. uh, as I mentioned before, but um, I, I was asked to do this. Pete Zezel was asked. Uh, Paul Cavallini was asked. These are Toronto-based guys. Donnie Biggs. Were, uh, who, who's that? Don Biggs. Don Biggs was in it, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Tim Salmon, who, was, who led the Ontario Hockey League in scoring uh, the year before. Uh, yeah, so – you know, you walk in there and uh, it was a very, very much a hurry up and wait situation. Uh, like all, I guess, movie sets are where you you have to wait for the stars to be ready to do their shoot. And so we walked around literally all day with our hockey equipment on. And this is like just before I turned pro. So it's not like I'm a kid, you know, I'm a grown person and I got to walk around on my hockey equipment because, you know, at the click of a um at the, at the snap of your fingers, you've got to be ready for a scene. 
So um, I, I, I was, I, I turned, it turned out I was in a couple of close up scenes and uh, yeah. I got to know uh, Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. And, uh, and we were together all the time. We'd play football and throw baseballs back and forth and, uh, um, you know, play Frisbee on our lunch and stuff like that. So I got to know them. Okay. Um, the one thing that, that uh, irked a bunch of us in the dressing room as, as you know, the extras and, and that sort of thing were the fact that whenever Rob Lowe came into the dressing room, he had like four wardrobe people getting his, him dressed with his hockey equipment on and tying his skates up. So we had to make a point of letting him know that uh, that was unacceptable in the hockey world for someone four ladies to be dressing you for your hockey, uh, your hockey, um, scene. So, um, but it, it you know, I, I hear everybody when they say that the, the movie has been on television or was on television, my phone blows up. Like they're just texting me, Hey, young blood's on. Oh, what an actor you are. You know, just giving me the, the, the piss. Right. So, um, but it, it turns out that a lot of people would put that movie in like their top five, you know, hockey movies or sports mm. movies. So it's pretty cool. Paul Newman could skate. Uh, Rob Lowe couldn't skate. That's story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Every movie's got its villain. What do you remember of George Finn who played Carl Rackey because you fought him in junior and George, uh, yeah. George was a tough guy amongst his many teams for the Windsor Spitfires. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I didn't know George was going to be in on the set. And we had some, uh, some good conversations about that fight too. It was like when I was in, my last year it was in the old barn at, in Windsor and, uh, and he looked as ominous as he did in the movie. He had the big beard and he was like, he was a tough guy, renowned tough guy throughout the league. And, uh, and uh, I don't know how that started, but uh, it was a bit of a feather in my cap knowing that I fought one of the toughest guys in the OHL at the time. But uh, we had some good laughs about, about it uh, uh, when we were there, but um, yeah, he's uh, he, he did a really good job as being the villain in that movie for no acting experience. 98. Uh, you come on board. Cujo comes on board. I'm talking Toronto. Pat Quinn comes on board. A young rookie named Thomas, Thomas Caberle. He's in his early 20s then, but he stands out and makes the squad as well. Yeah. The, the team led the league in scoring stump that year, 268 goals. I remember a big win in Dallas in January, a beat Ed Belfort. They, they went on to win the cup that year. And then the following night, you beat St. Louis. Um, it's, it's interesting to think what Cujo meant to that team, given all the confidence, because Pat just said, pin the ears back boys and let's just flood that zone offensively. Did it feel that way? It really did. It, it, it was like, um, you know, again, he was one of those guys that didn't like turnovers in the blue line. You don't like that much of a transition game, but the way we played and how dynamic with our speed and, and our, um, our uh, ability from the coaching staff to be able to make plays at the blue line, safe plays kind of turned into a track meet most nights. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Cujo, I, I remember seeing Cujo after a game and he was like, like this, you know, he had so many shots, um, but he stood on his head. And I think Cujo is one of those players that those goaltenders that, that really shone when, when he got that number of shots. So I, I don't know what the stats are, but I would suggest that our team, I would, I would say set a record for most shots against um, in the history, but I, 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 I'm, I'm probably wrong, but, but we got as many shots on the opponent's net as they put on ours. And we just had a 
great goaltender. And that's what won us a lot of games. But I, I have to say that, and I did an interview on another uh, a radio station not long ago, and, and they talked about our, our, our 99-2000 team and, and what made us good because I think that team was the team that won the division. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, I think it was a division. Yeah. And, um, and, and this year's Maple Leaf team is, a, is the second, is, is the next one that won since our team. And, um, and I, I had to say that it was, it was all about, we had a really good core of D like with Danny Markoff and, 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 uh, uh, Yuskevich, uh, Caberlet, um, Corey Cross was a big part of that team. Caberlet, uh, um, Brian Burrard. Cote, Sylvain Cote. So we had a really good core D. And Karpatsev. Yeah. Yeah. Breast in peace, too. Yeah. My God, poor yeah. guy. But anyway, we had a really good core of D, and we had some guys that were willing to be creative and make plays and get offensive chances, as well as trying to keep pucks out of our own net, known net. So um, I think we had a really good mix of players who who brought a little bit of something different um amongst themselves yeah before we go the couple of guys i want to talk about yannick perot i know by today's standards he'd be called for cheating was there ever a better face-off man and i think of that series winning goal by gary volk in pittsburgh and it began with yannick on on, on that left circle i i i'm not sure of this and i <laughs> i don't have stats in front of me but i think he was like 68 percent lifetime in in the face-off dot and I, and I think right now, I think the top guy in the league is only like 58, 58%. He was like, it was a given that he was going to win a faceoff. And, and and him winning that faceoff in that situation for Gary Vault, that was a huge goal for mm-hmm. us. And, uh, and and like you say, Yannick started that. But like, I don't know. He had a funny, like he had a big curve on his stick and he was able to br- draw the puck back on his forehand better than anyone I'd ever seen. You ended your career with a longer stick, but prior to that, I, I thought Cabby had a short stick, but yours was even shorter. And you had that one-time wrister that you were able to get off. Was the shorter stick a key to that success, do you think? Um, I don't think so. I think when I broke in the league, my stick was only about up my my chest. And, <laughs> and when I finished my career, it was at my nose. So there was a lot of extra extra uh, tagged onto the end of my stick uh, by the end of my career. Maybe that's because I didn't have the uh, the flexibility anymore. But uh, or maybe I didn't even notice it. It just kept, you know, when you cut a new stick, maybe you add a little tiny bit more. But um, um, I don't know what the reason for for having a longer stick from when I started. Uh, um, it didn't really. My my shot really was affected a little bit better by in a good way by the, the one piece stick that came out and, you know, I used this Easton synergy and, mm-hmm. and the puck seemed to jump off it. And, and, and then Darcy and I, and a couple of guys were playing around with a certain shot. Darcy calls it sweeper, the stumpy sweeper. And uh, I was able to actually, I, I was doing that prior to prior to going to the Leafs, but um, um, I, I, I was on the ice with Darcy and he goes, oh, you got to teach me how to shoot that. And it's, it's a, it's a tech, not a, it's a, it's catching the puck and shooting it all at the same time. And it takes goalies off, off their, um, their angle, that sort of thing. And, and it was a really effective shot for me. And, and I got a chance to score some goals using it. And, uh, and Darcy did the same. And, uh, 
So that was something that I don't think had anything to really do with the stick. It was just a technique that I kind of came up with. We're going to mention Christian. Uh, it's in Wikipedia. It's everywhere. But you and here, the only father-son tandem to have scored 50 goals in the goals in the OHL. He's traded to Oshawa for John Tavares from London. I mean, mm. he goes on and on. He's also uh, an Olympic medalist. What was yeah. the Korean experience for you like as a parent to see Christian? He was such a great hockey player. And I know he had his challenges in, in terms of staying here in North America, but has had a great career over in Europe, and then was able to represent his country in the highest of international competition. You had to be so yeah. proud. Well, our family went to Pyeongchang in uh, South Korea to, uh, to, to witness that. Um, I think it was a, a great highlight of his career. And just having Sean Burke uh, asking him to be a part of that organization was, uh, it was special, really super special. And, and, uh, uh, Sean called me. Uh, they had a few tournaments prior to the uh, the Olympics, and um, and Sean called and said, you know, I just want you to know that we're going to select Christian for the Olympic team, and uh, tomorrow I want you on the call to let him know so that we can all be in a conference together, uh, and and that was an unbelievable touch on on Sean's part to uh, to afford me the opportunity to do that for my my son. Yeah, uh, and it turned out, you know, winning the bronze medal. Um, that was a little bit bittersweet because, uh, we were beaten by, uh, Germany and, uh, and we, we had a better team than Germany, but Germany actually almost beat the, uh, or the Russians beat the Russians for the, uh, uh, for the gold medal. And that would have been a major, a major feat for the Russian ice hockey federation. If they'd have won the Olympic gold medal in that, uh, in that year, but that was, it was a wonderful experience. We have so much swag from the Olympics mm -hmm. Um, uh, luggages and everything. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And to know, I always looked up to Olympic medalists or people who yeah. actually competed in the Olympics. And, and he'll always have that, um, that Olymp that, that bronze medal. And uh, he's gotten himself a little tattoo on the bottom of his, on the top of his foot with the Olympic ring. So it really, it really means something to, to him as well. Final question. Knowing where you were in your career, age 39 and 40 in Anaheim and finally Detroit, do you see a parallel with the likes of Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons on this current Leaf group and how important they can be given your importance to those teams in Anaheim and Detroit? I think there's a definite leadership quality that you can bring to the table. Um, you know, when you've, when you've played that long, you've gone through like I tell my kid every day, you know, it's, it's like, you think you're going through something new. I've been through it 10 times mm -hmm. throughout my hockey career. Um, it's just a matter of fighting through the adversity that's necessary. But, you know, as you get older, you learn how to, how to get through those little funks you have in your game or slumps or whatever. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, you just, you take things with a grain of salt. And I think that's how you get through them a little bit quicker where, where there's a lot more things in life that are more important than not scoring for five games. Uh, and you got to put things in perspective. I, I always thought that, you know, um, when things were going bad and things weren't going to my liking the way I wanted, like I've got two beautiful kids at home that, that are way more important than what I'm doing right now. And that puts a lot of things in perspective. So I, I really think that, that, you know, having veteran leadership, I mean, Felino is going to be huge for this or for the Leafs organization. Um, you know, being a captain on the other team, Joe being a captain on, uh, 
on San Jose. Uh, um, Spets just having the success he's had throughout his years. Um, that's invaluable. And, and he, they can share those, those, you know, adverse situations, great mm-hmm. situations they've had throughout the course of their career to their younger players. And that's invaluable. Well, his pension for scoring big goals late in games is a cornerstone that will define his career, but hard determination to get to the net alongside those trademark soft hands around the net would equally describe Steve Thomas as well. His 20 years in the NHL saw him thrive amongst the game's elite and make Hall of Famers around him better. A combination of both grit and grace, he was the prototypical complete player of his generation. Stump, thanks for the conversation. This was fun. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.